Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, owner of Workman Forensics, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. Welcome back to the Investigation Game Podcast. I am so excited about this episode today because I am joined by three of the Workman Forensics team members, Alicia, Rachel, and Megan. Hello, ladies. Hey! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, good. Like We're off to a great Rachel. start. We are getting laughs out. Uh, our lighthearted podcast about fraud. Okay, no, fraud is serious. So I've asked my team here today to talk about some Christmas-related scams and fraud schemes and stories that were in the news. And none of us knows what the other story is, so this should be really fun. So each of us will just give a little synopsis of what happened, and then, you know, we'll break it down like we normally do in the analyst bullpen, (laughs) because that is a common occurrence. (laughs) Anyway, so today, let's start with Alicia. You're up. Okay, so my Christmas-related story happened last year. Basically, there was this family in Oregon who sold their home and they received $123,000 in equity from selling their home. They went to this title company to um, wire the money so they could buy their new home. Over the months, the man who had sold his home was like wiring the money to this title company. And then one day, a week before Christmas, he gets an email from the title company saying, okay, here are your instructions to wire the money. <gasps> yeah. Oh, no. So... I love everyone's response. <laughs> <laughs> no. So he looks at the email and he realizes that he had already wired this money, so yes. he was confused. So he contacted this title company and said, no, this was... they told him this was the first time we contact you. And he realized all of that money was gone. All of it. And it was their whole life savings all of that money just gone and this was like a week before christmas and they had already sold their home so they had to be out of their house by december 23rd and they had nowhere to go because he couldn't pay for the new home when he brought it to the police they explained to him that he couldn't get the money back because the money was moved between four different bank accounts then out of the country like it was already gone so they went to the title insurance company and the ceo had told Oh, by the way, the story was put together by KGW8, which is a local news station in Oregon. And when they did the story, they went and talked to the CEO of the title company. And he had told them that this has happened at least six times within mm. that year. Oh, so he, this wasn't even the first guy this happened to. This was just the worst situation. And the man who wired this money, like he said, he got the emails from this company. Like it had all the emails, like their logo in the emails, the emails read correctly and he didn't think twice about it he had nowhere to go and then a couple days later the ceo reached out to him and offered him a job as a fraud consultant at their company to warn people about wiring when i read the follow-up story it never said if they actually got into their home or not or if they ever got their money back but they said that they might end up in their home after all i don't know if they ever did i'm gonna be honest but at least the CEO like offered him a position and was like, yeah. you know, willing to try and help him get that money back. Yeah. But 
it's really depressing. I know. Did it it say at all? I mean, it is kind of hard to like get these stories like just from news Mm -hmm. things because sometimes I wish I was there to ask the questions for you. But did it say at all? How did he start getting emails from this title company? Like they would have had to know he sold his home. Oh, yeah. So like. So what they believe was that these hackers had this title company's information, which is funny because the CEO told them that this hacker had to have hacked this guy's emails. But then it happened like six times throughout the year. So it was definitely through the company. Like they had their information and like they were in their system. And that's how they were reaching out to different people to get the wiring. So the only way they realized that it was hackers was when they went back to the emails, they saw that the email wasn't the right email address, Mm -hmm. but they hacked it. So they had like, similar emails to what he would have been getting from the right people but yeah man i'm still kind of curious how he didn't have a claim against that title that's what i was gonna say they should be liable this actually happened at a company i work at they hacked into the vice president of the company's email actually sent emails from his email account to the treasury department asking them to wire money so they'd hacked it long enough to follow his email trail and see that he was the one who always requested wires. Wow. And so I'm sure they hacked into the title company and just, mm-hmm. that's yeah. how it happened. I mean, because, you know, the easiest way to get into a company is through employees. Mm-hmm. So if your employees have clicked on something mm-hmm. that let a hacker oh. into your system. But I'm just still amazed that this guy didn't have a claim yeah. because yeah. there is cyber insurance that covers yeah. these cyber breaches that then helps make your client, you know, yeah. at least partially whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... If this guy listens to the podcast, I don't know if it's past his opportunity to make a claim, but mm-hmm. I think you have a claim against the title company. Yeah. 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 I, don't, I don't know if he ever accepted the job offer, yeah. but I guess because there Here, was... come work for me. Yeah, I don't want a job. No. <laughs> hey, you can uh, come talk for us. Right. Like, like, you need to find a good attorney. Yeah. And... It also sounds like they do need to warn up front that customers they're working with hey yeah. there's a scheme going on yeah so after the sure first me. time it happened yeah, you like six different times i mean the fact yeah. that they didn't say anything and the ceo said you know this stuff it happens really easily and it can happen to anyone so make sure if that people are asking you to wire money you call first and make sure mm-hmm. but it's it shouldn't be your customer's responsibility right. to check up on your security system. Right. Like they yes. probably should have figured out how they were hacked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So no, I'm glad like we, we all went agree. From, yeah, like yeah. warnings, but now let's hate on this title company. <laughs> <laughs> I just, sorry, title company from Oregon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not using any We admittedly don't know the yeah. full story, but you kind of look bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is fun to speculate about yeah. this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, it's, I see why this story made you sad why you didn't like well, it. Well, especially yeah. right before Christmas. Yeah, they lost so, their house. I know. And he had kids. And if you yeah. just, oh, if gosh. I just think about if all, yeah, being in that situation and all of a sudden your home equity is gone. Yeah. Yes. Like, and you are, have nowhere to live. And yeah. it is so true that so many people, that is their life savings. Yes. Is their home equity. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> like they were building up that equity for the past six years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. it just, just makes all me gone. sick. I just, yeah. what I find weird is like, Basically, this family, like, whenever stuff like this happens, it's just kind of like, oh, well, you lost it. So the FBI actually has, and it's like a joint task force type thing, so it's not just the FBI, but there's actually something called the Internet Crime Center, although I think it's IC3, so there's another C in there somewhere, but it's for Internet Crime Reporting. But to me, I mean, gosh, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it kind of feels like a black hole to me, 
like whenever there's so many internet crimes and you can't really mm-hmm. tell where things come from all the mm-hmm. time. And then whenever it goes outside the country and then we're going to go outside the country and do all of that. Like, let's say that you can find the person in another country. Like there's a lot of steps to even like working with that country. I mean, for a hundred thousand dollars and that's the, that person's life savings, but like in the big scheme yeah. of all these scams mm-hmm. being run. Mm-hmm. So it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. And so really, I mean, aware, um, awareness for consumers, I think is the best prevention just like clicking on even though it looks like it's coming from leah wheatholter like clicking on that little Mm -hmm. button to make sure that it's not leah (laughs) at outlook.com or something like yeah so that's one thing i will say about the ceo at least you know he's taking the steps to kind of teach other people about these fraud issues and he's using somebody that actually went through it so it's you know they're a little more charged to help other people Stay out of these situations. Yeah. So good on the leave it to yeah. leave it to Alicia. We're gonna have a make it positive button for Alicia. She's just gonna like hit It'll, the button. It's gonna be a button that says like, "Oh, it's fine." All right, Megan, you're up next. Okay. What story do you have for us? Well, my story actually doesn't have to do with Christmas, but it does have to do with nuns, which I sometimes <laughs> associate with Christmas. But I, when I was searching. For a Christmas story, these nuns popped up. Uh, so I got my information from an NBC News article by Minnie Von Burke. And then there's also was an extensive article written for GQ by Sean Flynn that had a bunch of background information about the nuns and interviews with parents. But it was too much to include in this short story. <laughs> but if you want to check it out, go to GQ.com. So this is about sisters Mary Margaret Cooper and Lana Chang. And they took at least $500,000 from St. James Catholic School in Torrance, California. But the total is still undetermined. I tried to find lots of articles to see if they'd finally like figured it out because they'd worked there so long. In 2018, they'd only been able to go back to 2012, so they, could have been, they were still uncovering more money. Sister Mary Margaret was the principal of this Catholic school for 29 years, and Sister Lana was a teacher for 20, and she had also served as the vice president toward the end of her career. They were housemates and best friends, and both sisters retired in 2018. So upon retiring, upon any change of control, the school required just a routine audit so that the next person could step in to clean books. And I guess Sister Mary Margaret was acting really squirrely during this time and odd. And this was total coincidence, but around the same time of the audit, a family who had paid tuition had asked to see a copy of an old check. And when the staff retrieved the check, she noticed that it had been endorsed and been deposited into an account that was not used by the school. So... They were just finding a bunch of different weird things. And so Sister Mary Margaret's boss contacted the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And when he was informed of this, he ordered an independent forensic audit be performed. So what was happening is Sister Mary Margaret would receive checks or cash before handing them over to the accounting department. Mm -hmm. And so she would take some of them and then deposit them into a bank that was not used by the school one that she set up herself. And she was able to do this because she endorsed the back of it with a stamp that read St. James Convent instead of St. James School. So they wouldn't really... And you're probably not going to question a nun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems legit. Yeah. (laughs) And also it wasn't really caught in routine audits because the, the school was profitable even though they were always 
saying it was like we're operating on a shoestring budget and we don't have any money. It was really because she was taking it. But the money, this excess money that she was depositing was really destined for a reserve fund. So it wasn't really like used for operating. So that's why it wasn't really noticed by anyone. And because she was taking the checks and depositing herself, no one even knew it was coming in. And you would ask, well, what does a nun spend money on? Because most (laughs) of them take a vow of poverty and they don't live a frivolous lifestyle. But apparently these two really had a pattern of traveling and they loved to gamble. So they went to a lot of casinos. And Mary Margaret actually, before she moved to California, she was the head of a school in Las Vegas. Oh. <laughs> and all the parents knew that she was like an like a really good poker player because they'd have these poker nights and she would win oh most of the time, my. but they just never, you know, put it together. Oh my god. That she was maybe had an addiction to gambling. <laughs> so anyway, uh St. James School, they went ahead and informed the police department, and they initially declined to file a criminal complaint. But from the last article I read, it said the the archdiocese initially said it would not press charges, but then they stated they would become a complaining party in the case. And I think this might be due to the fact that bank fraud is a federal crime, and then the alleged misappropriation was possibly investigated as a federal crime. Um... But as of May of 2019, no charges have been filed. Uh, But it sounded like, I couldn't find anything where charges have been filed, but it kind of sounded like the forensic audit was still going on and they were just uncovering, probably waiting for that to get finalized. And as we know, that can take a while when you're digging back into a lot of years. So, Yeah. Yeah, and especially like if it was for a reserve fund, so they didn't necessarily know that the money was coming in. I mean, how do you even... Yeah. Um, you know, because normally you'd have an invoice on your side for like school tuition or something. And so they need to compare how many of those invoices hadn't been paid or compare Mm -hmm. how many said that they had been paid in the system, but they didn't make it to the Mm -hmm. bank, you know, like our nice little Venn diagram. Or like, if you don't have a way of tracking mm -hmm. that, then it's just pure skimming. And how are you going to actually quantify Mm -hmm. that? Besides going to everyone and saying, hey, did you ever give Sister Mary Margaret a check? And if so, provide us a copy of the canceled check. Well, and if she was the one also opening mail. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a good segregation of duties is to have different people open the mail (laughs) that record checks and take the deposit. But it reminded me of the case in Tiffany Couch's book Mm -hmm. about the school and the bookkeeper who was taking cash Mm -hmm. and then just depositing her. So that's another thing. I mean, they didn't go into the cash aspect, but I'm going to guess some people paid things in cash Mm -hmm. and she probably took it. Yeah, that you could never trace. With the checks, like how long do banks keep the deposit items for? Because couldn't you look at that and see anything written Mm -hmm. to the school in her account? You'd be like, oh, that wasn't for you. Yeah, they were going back several years to obtain that information and they even had parents who'd paid money mm-hmm. were going back and getting their bank statements to mm-hmm. look at right. the canceled checks to see where they were deposited. Yeah, and I think there maybe we should clarify since you know we're trying to educate people on yes. this podcast too, is that like if we had been hired to work this forensic audit, which PS isn't really a thing, but anyway, <laughs> this yeah. for, these forensic accounting procedures, if we had been hired to do that, unless Sister, Sister Mary were, Margaret, yeah, unless they were cooperating. Like, we would have had to go to the parents and ask them, like, if you've mm-hmm. written a check, send that to us. Mm-hmm. If she was cooperating, then perhaps we could go and look at that bank account that she had set up that she was putting everything into. Or if there was a civil lawsuit and there was a subpoena filed. And then, of course, law enforcement's going to be able to get into that bank account. So mm-hmm. that's why 
you know, oh, we'll just go look in her bank account. Right. But let's just set the stage <laughs> yes. a little bit. It, it depends did, on It did say things. both nuns were very cooperative and were oh, So maybe they <laughs> But uh, a lot of parents complained because these nuns were very strict in student conduct. Mm. And oh. so they felt they were very hypocritical. Yeah. Lying, making their kids, like, do all these things to... And then they were lying to everyone. <laughs> if if I'm honest, anytime anybody is so overly strict about something, mm-hmm. it always makes me question what they're hiding in the background. Yeah. Well, they Sister Mary Margaret implemented a line outside, and you had to walk the line during recess. If you were bad, you had to walk the line while your friends played at recess. Oh. oh. Like in front of everyone. Oh. <laughs> Did they make her walk the line? Yeah. <laughs> in front of all How many lines? That, that, came, up, that like... came up in many parent interviews. Well, everyone had to walk the line. She should have to walk the line. <laughs> they were pretty upset about it. So. Like, oh, you stole man. this money. You better start walking. Like, yeah. Do you have any idea if they get the money back? Or it's just another oh, it's case where it's all gone? It's gone, I'm sure. Especially if she was gambling. Yeah. They usually you know, mm. over. <laughs> it's not recoverable. Yeah. And especially if she took about poverty in her personal life yeah. and then just I mean, stole I don't think she was like spending it on anything frivolous mm-hmm. in her lifestyle. I mean, just gambling just and traveling. Oh, okay. So just going back to the fact that she worked at a school in Las Vegas and they had gambling nights. How is that a isn't she not allowed as a nun? Is she allowed to well, gamble in the first place? The gambling nights were just um, a lot of companies or schools do this as a fundraiser, oh. and all the money goes to the school. Okay. Like, you put in pots, and then the money. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, it wasn't about Christmas, but um, <laughs> it was interesting. Well, that's yeah. a great, that is a good story, and it's super similar to what we investigate yeah. on a yeah. basis, so great job, great story. Yeah, we should, you know, put a little plug in here that Megan is the one that researched all the stories. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then true. we divided them up, and we don't know which one each other has. And we said, we need some Christmas fraud stories, and in, like, what, three minutes? We had a I whole know, list. she gave yeah. me, like, oh, yeah. less than nine. Like, I don't know what I was doing. This is, why this is why. It was, like, in 30 minutes, and I was looking for, like, an hour, and couldn't find anything. Yeah, but, like, that's just, like, Megan's thing. That's true. I mean, we played the game Hunt a Killer, just, oh, like, yeah. one little... I'm pretty I'm sure she gonna... uncovered things that we weren't supposed to uncover until, like, boxes one. later. <laughs> but, I mean, she's like, look at this Facebook account. It says this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, licensed PI and yeah, crime enthusiast. Right. That, yeah, I just right. signed right. up. I just signed up to do the Heatherington Ethical Online Research. Oh, class. oh the class. Mm, Good. Yeah. yeah. I need my CE. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. But I was like, oh, this will be good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Then she can really find, there won't be anything yeah. this girl can't yep. find. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you a small business owner? Do you have someone who controls the finances in your business while you keep things running? Are you often concerned about the risk of fraud in your business? Do you tell yourself that you'll watch the finances closer this year only to find that the busyness of business becomes a higher priority? Well, if you're a small business owner with revenue of a million dollars or less, Workman Forensics is hosting a New Year's fraud prevention raffle. For the winner, Workman Forensics will run our data sleuthing test on your 2019 data to highlight potential areas of vulnerability so you can improve your fraud prevention procedures. Start the year off right with our New Year Fraud Prevention Raffle. Go to www.workmanforensics.com and enter to win under the Be a Data Sleuth menu.
The link will also be posted in the show notes. All right, I will go next. Um, mine is very Christmassy, but I feel like the two of you had fraud stories. This is just like a straight up, well, yours was a scam too, mm-hmm. but um, this is just a straight up scam. Have you guys heard of the secret sister thing on Facebook? No. Rachel, you have? <laughs> I'd never heard of it. I hadn't either. It was mentioned in, as I researched my story too. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like setting up secret Santa lists or like, you know, old school like chain letters. Did anybody get those as kids? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Gosh, no like, uh, I know. I would get them. Oh, I got them. And I would get them and I'm like. What? I mean, it was a future fraud examiner at work, right? I'm like, this just seems too good to be true. But I was always the one who broke the chain. And I was like so conflicted about it as a kid. I'm like, mom, but like the chain's going to be broken if I don't. I'm like, going to have bad luck. I know. <laughs> seven years. You were like, I don't even remember how it worked. I don't either, but if you were the one that broke it, you were going to have bad luck. But I was oh, too lazy to send a letter. Yeah, it wasn't like that, but it was yeah. more like... You probably you, had email. You read this story. It was yeah. like on MySpace. Like, oh, you clicked you on this photo, and if you don't forward it, they're going to haunt you at night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Was, it, was, yeah it was like that, but this actually happened through This was through a written letter. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. stunned right now. <laughs> Well, we, we <laughs> grew up in the 80s and, and 90s. You write it there down, there and you put it email. in an envelope, and you send it with a stamp. Uh, but, like, how do people know your address? Did they just write down random addresses? There was a thing called a phone book. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, okay. my gosh. <laughs> well, we don't have any of them anymore, but yeah. you used to. And but your like, address was in the phone book? Yeah, I mean, yeah. especially I grew up in a small town, and you yeah. knew your friends, yeah. and you just looked them up in the phone. Mine book. always came from a friend, so like she had yeah. gotten hers from a friend, and she her family oh. gave it. They weren't just random. Okay, I they usually came random. No, they usually came from friends. Okay. Right, but somebody got it started, and then it was friend to friend to friend. But anyway, back yeah. to our secret system. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so that's the premise it's operating off of. Only where Megan and I received these letters from our friends. Essentially, you're going to give a gift or $10. Some of them said wine through Facebook. They'll say, hey, join this gift exchange. You're going to spend $10 on this one person and send it to this random like name and address. Put your name and address on this list and then find like six or find five other people and put their names and addresses on this list. And then you're going to get 36 gifts for Christmas. That's this Facebook. That's, that's what Facebook they're saying one. on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. okay. That yeah. totally sounds like a scam. <laughs> so too good right. to be true. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Because yes. it is. Okay. <laughs> well, right. yeah. But people and yeah. So and it's like through social media, and I mean, I think that there's this sounds. This is the marketer. This is a marketing phrase. I think there's a target audience for things that are too yes. good to be true, yeah. and so there are people who want to believe that that's a thing. Which is also what makes this actually illegal because it's like gambling. And so it's a form of oh, illegal gambling is what I read. Okay. It's also sense. a form of an illegal pyramid scheme mm-hmm. because, yeah. you know, you can have multi-level marketing, you know, how a multi-level marketing mm-hmm. thing works. And as long as there's an actual legitimate product, then it's not illegal. But if you're ever told you're going to invest this money and there's no actual product being sold and then you're going to go recruit however many other people to put that amount of money in then it's an illegal pyramid scheme because there's no... There's not actually a product. There's not actually a product. And whenever you stop, there's not enough money for that last Mm -hmm. group of people, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's gone to all the people above them. So anyway, 
Yeah, so this is how this works. So, okay, so this apparently was popular in 2015, 2018, and then it surfaced again in 2019. Oh, wow. But what I thought was hilarious, and um, the article I read for 2019 is from the Better Business Bureau. So they were the ones like letting everybody know, hey, please Mm -hmm. don't do this. Like, it is a scam. But I read another article from a guy in that was in 2018, and he said at the end of his article, he says, so instead of red and green this Christmas, you might end up wearing orange. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, that was a great line for the end of this article, but I don't think anybody's going to go to prison. (laughs) Imagine losing all your money and they're like, but you're also going to jail. Right. Like, Like, or like for participating in it and like, all you did is contribute the $10. Mm-hmm. And then the thing is, like in a like we talked about, in a chain letter, mm-hmm. I knew the person who was sending me this mm-hmm. letter. And if I had continued it to avoid the bad luck, which, by the way, I didn't have bad luck, I don't think, from not <laughs> sending it. But I would have sent it to someone I know. Well, what's so crazy to me is that if you are one of the, I guess, victims or participants of the secret sister scam, you are sending $10 to someone who's supposedly a real person on this list, but you know it's just going to, like, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it just fits, like, the Nigerian. Like a stranger. Yeah. Yeah, just, just like a random fun. person. And I'm only picking Nigeria, by the way, because of the Nigerian, like, scams. Yeah. I think that's oh, yeah. what's most common. It's well known. Okay. <laughs> but, but I'm just like... Did you really think that was the real person? Like, this is the internet. It's Did so they sad. talk about, yeah, who, what kind of target? Were they older? Oh, no, they're target, specifically targeting women. I was going to say this okay. earlier because why even the old chain letter thing, I feel like this type of thing always targets women, and I feel like it relies on, like, some kind of social guilt or, like, returning of yeah. social... Like, you, you don't want to break the chain. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be rude. Or, like, I feel like a lot of the newer ones, they really promote, like, sisterhood. And, like, yes. they're super positive, friendly mm-hmm. language. And I feel like I was thinking this the whole time. Like, why? it's so weird. But, yeah, well, it's like, hard was, for women to say no. Yes. And, like, emo- they said they use, like, lots of emojis oh. and lots of really flowery mm-hmm. words. Yeah, I just didn't know if they had a certain age group they were yeah. targeting, too. It has to be older. Because I feel like when... Like, I could see my mother-in-law falling for this. Mm-hmm. No offense against her, but she just, she's so friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She would want to participate. I and... feel like when you're raised more, like, in the time of internet, you're yeah. a lot more jaded. Yes. Like, that is yes. 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 I was I just talking this, about this the other day. I would just be like, oh my gosh, this is stupid. We all <laughs> have, we all, I feel like, have a better, like, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't, that doesn't sound right, detector for the internet yeah. or, like, mm-hmm. innate distrust of the internet, mm-hmm. where I feel like people that didn't, you know, where it yeah. came to them at a later age. Yeah. They, really think they grew up, way. like, the people they're talking to, they know. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. grew up actually being able to trust what they read because it was, like, yeah. from their friend or from a major newspaper, and now right. it's just, like, a free-for-all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> how did this happen on Facebook three years, at, like, three years running? I know. I mean, but just think about how many people are on Facebook and then yeah. how convincing and, I mean, how do people get scammed all the time? That's yeah. true. And, and I think, too, that it's just human nature, like, What's the worst that can happen? I put $10 into this, and then I don't get the 36 gifts. Like, yeah, and if I do, 36 gifts. Right. Oh. Yeah, so it is going to be like fun. Gambling. It is a gamble. <laughs> oh, so they had to have been 
targeting like older women with like kind of a gambling addiction. <laughs> mm. Probably yeah, guaranteed one of those target. nuns totally signed up for this. <laughs> she was yeah, like, 36 <laughs> gifts, maybe. Here we go. Yeah, I only have to contribute to nothing. <laughs> exactly. But what would happen if I contribute like $500? Yeah. Oh, Because you know that that probably happens too. Like, oh, gosh, can they participate yeah. in multiple mm-hmm. or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then, anyway, I'm just saying, I get annoyed whenever. Some of people that I'm connected with on Facebook send me essentially the chain letters that mm-hmm. are like, pass this on, forward this, if you want good luck, or if you want to avoid this scam, or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I get annoyed with that, and there's no money involved. So yeah. come on, people. Yeah. Like, quit giving <laughs> random people money that you don't know. Yeah. If you want to give <laughs> random money to people you don't know, like, give to a charity. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Give it to a bell ringer. Exactly. <laughs> Which actually... Just yesterday on LinkedIn, because I'm sure it doesn't surprise anybody that I follow a bunch of fraud examiners, (laughs) one of them posted about how she'd seen so many posts on LinkedIn about people trying to do business with people over LinkedIn, and then, like, the person never showed up to do the job or whatever, and it's like, wow, even on LinkedIn, like, I feel so connected to certain people, but, like... Yeah, to just hire someone over LinkedIn. I mean, kind of my rule of thumb is if I see someone on LinkedIn and even I'm not going to exchange money with them, but even like have them be on the podcast, like mm-hmm. I'm going to research them. Yeah. I want to make sure, are they actually a CFE? Are they actually a CPA? Do they have a legitimate, like, do they have a website? Do they have Facebook? Like, and is the messaging on all of those things the same? Have they like taken care to actually set up a business? Check the Secretary of State. I mean, this is so much mm-hmm. due diligence. I know. I was going to say, it's called like, due diligence. And like, people <laughs> should do it. Right. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. Well, that was good. Yeah. Nice. Okay. There's like, like so much to unpack with all these. <laughs> I know. Okay. I'm excited for Rachel's because so hers excited. is the most Christmassy. So It's super Christmassy. I actually was just thinking to myself, I didn't write down the guy's name, but I do remember it. So for my story, we go all the way back to 1913 in New York City to a man named John Duval Gluck. Might have been John Duval Gluck Jr. Anyway, great three-part name. That um, was good. And my favorite few-word summary of this was from a BBC History magazine headline. They called him the con man who saved Christmas. And oh I feel my, like that about so good. <laughs> so what Gluck did, well, to go kind of set the background for the story, um, you know, we're all familiar nowadays with kids writing letters to Santa. That actually only started in the 1800s. But as it became more popular, the post office had all these letters that were undeliverable and they didn't know what to do with them. So in 1911, the U.S. Postal Service formalized this program where in a given city, they could designate a charity that would respond to all the letters to Santa. But New York City, no charity stepped up until 1913 when John Gluck, who had been working as a customs broker, he inherited his dad's custom brokerage, but he had bigger dreams for himself and he came up with this idea. So they had no other takers, so they said, sure, you can do it. And he set up the Santa Claus Association, which initially was just a bunch of volunteers that would go through all these letters and process them, look for... First, the first pass was like any kids that were reporting like abuse or, you know, serious issues. And they would kind of set those aside and forward them to the city. And then they would weed out ones that had really extreme demands or things that just didn't didn't pass the smell test. Um, but he said about 70 percent of the letters seem, you know, were good to go. And then they would assign those to donors or send them out to potential donors. And that was just a donor list that he had gotten through his work as a customs broker and other people he knew. So basically they're connecting these donors to children. But 
as the years went on, he started acting as more of a middleman. And instead of sending the letters to people directly, he would just ask for money. He had plans to build a Santa Claus building in Manhattan that was going to have this crazy marble facade and this giant stained glass window of Santa Claus and different depictions of Santa from like cultures around the world done by artists from their native countries. So obviously that would require a lot of money. So he solicited a lot of donations for that. It was never built. And he started to get involved with some other similar quote unquote charities. I'm trying to remember some of his examples. There was one that was like involved in, oh, the Window Crib Society promoted cages that apartment dwellers could attach to their windows to allow their infant to play outside in a chicken wire box. This is in the New York Post article. What? You need to look this up. So it's a New York Post article all about this. If you look for John Duval Gluck, New York Post, and they have a picture of a baby in a chicken wire box hanging out a window, and it's really great. So oh um, terribly disturbing. Yeah. Other Does your baby want fresh air. <laughs> that's what it was, you know, ten yeah. tenement babies like need time outside too, yeah, and that's kind of was the idea. Oh my god. Um, so that was one of his groups. It's a different time. He also <laughs> got really involved in the U.S. Boy Scouts, not to be confused with Boy Scouts of America. This was a competitive group that came into being around the same time that was uh, founded by William Randolph Hearst. And the biggest difference between the two is that the U.S. Boy Scouts carried rifles because Hearst believed that, like, you know, good gun usage and ownership was, like, an important skill for these boys. So a 12-year-old scout killed a 9-year-old scout, and that organization fell into you know, scandal and its membership dropped precipitously. But it yeah, so so Gluck being involved with that, he had used a lot of those scouts as volunteers in the Santa Claus Association. And so he really wanted it to keep going. He tried to save it. And that's actually what ended up drawing the attention of New York City's Public Welfare Commissioner, whose name was Bird Kohler. And that's who eventually closed down the Santa Claus Association. He looked into its books and essentially they couldn't account for, you know, most of the money they received. Yeah. That was done. But I don't know what happened to Gluck. I couldn't find out what, um, oh, like if, he ever... if he really got in legal trouble or if they just kind of were like, eh, you can't run this charity anymore. His grandnephew, Alex Palmer, wrote really the definitive book on this story. So I think I'm going to have to look this up. It's called The Santa Claus Man, The Rise and Fall of a Jazz Age Con Man and the Invention of Christmas in New York. So he was at a family gathering and he kind of heard this story and was like, wait, what? And his family had kind of described John Duval Gluck as this, you know, like really personable, like, you know, oh, he had a lot in common with your grandpa. They could both have a conversation with anyone and like this really great guy. But then once Alex Palmer kind of looked into it, he was like, well, he was kind of a scammer. (laughs) But even Palmer ends up saying at the end of his book, you know, a lot of recollections of him are just positive. Like people remember Mm -hmm. the good stuff. And in a way that's noble because he was was fulfilling children's wishes. He was just also enriching himself at the same time. Just think about that. I mean, everyone, there's like a little part in just, I think, probably almost everyone that wants to believe something like Santa Claus could happen. So Mm -hmm. why would you not? I mean, if somebody started an organization like this, I would be like, yes, here's some money. Go satisfy, like, go fulfill some kids' wishes, you know? Yeah, it's really positive. Everyone would want to be involved. And then it's, but. But then, you know, just the lack of oversight Mm -hmm. and accountability, it so, also goes to show Fraud's been around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, 1913, so well, over wasn't, years. Um, the Ponzi scheme is around 1912, oh, 1921. I might yeah. be a little dyslexic on my date, but the original Charles Ponzi, I think it was yeah. around the same time. The interesting thing, too, that I read, it was probably in the New York Post article, was that, that around that time, like World War One, people... 
these these sort of charities that were not really charities were really thriving. Like there just wasn't a lot of oversight. People yeah. wanted to believe in something positive or do yeah. something positive. Right. And then we're also kind of distracted from the oversight piece by the war effort. So I sure. guess that was just really yeah. a big thing. And then he, his went on until 1927 is when Bird Kohler actually. So yeah, wow. they did it for over 10 years. Yeah, mm. pretty crazy. Oh, and you were saying like who wouldn't want to get involved, you know, mm. and help fulfill a child's Christmas wish. Well, fun fact, today, I think this is since the 60s, the Postal Service actually took all this in-house. So they coordinate assigning letters to donors. And you actually can go to its USPSOperationSanta.com. And you can adopt a letter. And, yeah, I mean, you can read through all the letters and you can pick one and fulfill their wish if you want. Oh, I'm so glad you oh, know about so that. Yeah. So again, USPS Operation It's pretty that's cute. That's so great. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. 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 That's I'll right. put it in the Alicia description. Will. <laughs> that's so sweet. Oh, like, that's awesome. He was kind of like almost a Robin Hood, but just a little stole from the rich to give to yeah, the his... children and himself. Yeah. <laughs> he almost one for you, one himself. for me. Yeah. yeah I mean. Well. And I think he was also kind of a, like, part of it for him was the attention, because yeah. he ended up rubbing shoulders with all these bigwigs. Like, he just liked yeah. to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, the man's man. <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah, we've run across yeah. some characters. <laughs> yes, we have. Or, like, even, you know, playing Case of the Man Cave, like, yeah, it's yeah. called that mm-hmm. because... He liked being like the man's man and hosting all of his friends. Mm -hmm. But then even so, I have another case. It might become a game one day, but um, I call it the mom of the year. And like, she just loved making sure that her kids had Mm -hmm. everything. Or another guy that I talk about in our Be A Day Sleuth trainings, but I talk about this, this guy that just wanted his kids to go to private school and bought them all cars. And the day we brought him into interview, he only had like $2 in his bank account because he was just stealing all this money from his employer and then paying for everything that, because he didn't have anything growing up. And he had said, my kids are going to go to college and have everything Mm -hmm. taken care of. He was such a nice guy. He was so nice. Like I had to like hold back tears while interviewing this guy. It was very... I will say one thing I do like about this story is we always hear the side of the person who got stolen. We never hear the side of the person who stole. And it's kind of nice when, not that this, it's nice that people (laughs) steal, but it's kind of nice when like somebody's actually trying to do something for other people. He started out with good intentions. And then it just kind of got sour near the end. But it's kind of nice when it, because you think to yourself like, this has to be a terrible, gross person who doesn't care about anybody. But he did care. He also just cared about himself. I mean, and there's Alicia with our positive spin. I were pretty selfish but I think um his grandnephew's perspective of like mm-hmm. if you look at the outcome of it yeah. like kind yeah. of the positive that did come from it like it's mm-hmm. or the legacy that's the word he yeah. uses that I think is yeah. really good it's like not, not all bad book. I know mm-hmm. I really want to yeah. read it I wish I yeah. had known about it earlier yeah. I would recommend it to my book club for December we could read it in January yeah <laughs> and I think too it just makes me think of the fraud triangle because the fraud mm-hmm. triangle basically says that if you've got a pressure or incentive and then you have opportunity that you can rationalize and when you've got those pieces then your risk of fraud increases doesn't mean that you will but you know i can i can rationalize anything mm-hmm. if i really really want to so if i have an incentive so maybe i want to be popular or like maybe at the beginning like he did really want to help these kids and like what a cool idea but then that just becomes a slippery slope and then he had opportunity because nobody was actually looking at it and then he could rationalize and say yeah but if i wasn't involved then these kids wouldn't oh, yeah. have gotten their christmas wishes so yeah. it's just so oh, easy yeah. To, yeah 
I do think that anyone commit can commit fraud if the risk is there. I don't think that people need to be afraid of fraud happening and like try to do everything to prevent it 100% of the time. We should make efforts to do that. But to me, it's fraud is probably happening because it's that common. But like, do we have prevention measures or detection measures in place to catch it before it's a big thing? That's that's how we like to look at it here. Yeah. So, so it's not something to be afraid of, but like there's only so many ways people can steal. Mm-hmm. And I do think that in all of these stories, there's so many similarities, no matter oh, yeah. even yeah. though we're talking about different cases. So mm-hmm. anyway, great job. This, this is fun. Yeah, fun. This is fun. We've already got a uh, an idea for April Fools to do this. Oh, again. Yeah. So well, get it's excited. My Oh, I know. Yeah. It is. Just chime that in. <laughs> <laughs> Just get so. her a gift through that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Megan can be your secret yeah. sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My God. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. This was so fun. I know. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. <laughs> the Investigation Game Podcast is a production of Workman Forensics. For more information about any of the topics that we talk about on the podcast, please visit workmanforensics.com. And to register for our Be a Data Sleuth seminars, visit beadatasleuth.com. You can also connect with us on any of the social media platforms by searching Workman Forensics. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, please feel free to email us at podcast at workmanforensics.com. Thanks for listening.